Welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Mind. This is the podcast for B2B marketers looking to uplevel their skills to succeed in leadership. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to have Doug Bell on the show. Doug, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Doug. I am a fractional executive. I spent 20 years in marketing leadership and uh, started my career actually as a SaaS marketing leader and never left. I'm actually the fractional CMO for Caliber Mind. I had the great privilege of following all the amazing work that Kamala did. Doug, thank you for being on the show. Today is our first topic, and I'm really excited to discuss it. I think it's on all of our minds with the year we just survived, or hopefully, uh, and that is 2024 predictions for what's next in marketing. Initial thoughts. Well, happy 2024, everybody. Uh, hopefully you've survived and thrived in 2023. We're good to have the wind at our backs with that year past. Uh, it was a tough year, no doubt about it. Um, I have a lot of thoughts as always, Kamala, sort of the the you know the thing that um, is taken root for me, especially over the last six or seven months, is I do think that the Scott Brinker MarTech landscape for the first time ever, if, any, if, Betty, if anybody is not familiar with the landscape, came out first in 2011, there are 230 companies on it. I think the most recent version had around 11 or 12,000. Yeah, there's My some first, double counting, but yes, you are accurate. 11,000, yep. It's a lot. How about this? Yeah. It's a lot. And it's always yeah. grown. It's always grown. Um, you know, my prediction is that that's going to shrink for the first time in the history of the MarTech landscape. Scott Brinker's report. Um, that's the first. That's the first thing I think is we're going to see. And I, I think you described it in your Welcome Back episode. You talked about the Sassaker, which I think is really a clever way of describing um, a huge amount of pressure on SaaS organizations that in the past were sort of encouraged to burn cash. And now they're not because capital costs are so high. And then you have the looming presence of uh, SaaS with and without AI and understanding what the playing field is going to look like. So yeah, I think our landscape is going to get smaller and a little tighter and a lot more sort of efficient, uh, high-performing companies will survive. And let's talk a little bit about the elephant in the room, if we could. I think a lot of us, I would argue nearly all of us in marketing and SaaS felt the belt tighten first. Although if I look across the C-suite, all of the go-to-market functions, their tenure has shrunk. It's a scary time. Uh, We're under a lot of pressure. We all know what doesn't happen when we hit our goals. It's very out there and in our face. What kind of impact, if any, is that making on your prediction of the Scott Brinker MarTech landscape? Oh, it's probably I'm probably short selling what's likely to happen. I, I, I think you know I think it's easy. I think it's fairly easy to be doom and gloom, and and I, I do want to recognize that you know um, I'm forgetting the Indian god, but there's a god of death that is also the god of creation. Somebody listening right now is going to go, it's this god, right? Uh, Hindu is beautiful religion. This idea of multi multifaceted understanding of our spiritual lives—it's really beautiful. But it also recognizes what's happening in SaaS right now. If I can make this connection, which is disruption sometimes begets creation. So you asked, um, you asked, geez, we're, we're seeing marketing really being impacted. Invariably, folks, marketing is the first to go. Camel and I are marketers, right? We've seen these swings go back and forth, and the net result of that invariably is. Uh, the businesses suffer. Um, what you tend to do is you tend to get rid of sort of this top of funnel activity. You tend to get rid of brand awareness. Um, and in the short term, you see your CAC go up, 
In other words, you're, you're spending produces more pipeline, but eventually what ends up is you erode your overall marketing performance. And so there's invariably this reckoning. The thing I think that we will, the reason I don't think the pendulum will swing back so acutely this year as it usually does, it's about a two-year cycle, is exactly what you referenced before, which is the SaaS occur. And so I think there's a systemic failure that has to happen first. And I think what will end up happening is uh, marketing will become even more codified really as the leader of growth. And Camel, it comes all the way back to a statistic that I think is six or seven years old now, which is from Gartner that says that 57% of the sales cycle is invisible to sellers. I'm going to guarantee that number's up to at least 80 something percent. In other words, marketers are the new sellers. I'm quoting Gartner there again. So long with a way of saying, I think you've got a huge amount of market that has to settle out first, but eventually uh, marketing will recover. You know, I'm so glad that you brought up Gartner Research, and this is a drum I've been beating for a while, is that our buyer preferences have changed. They prefer to learn from a distance a little bit online digitally before they ever speak to anybody. And I think B2B has been slow to realize that investing in marketing early is necessary and finding the right talent, the right messaging, all of that is so critical to success. It's hard to measure in a lot of ways. But I think we've been under under investing, under emphasizing. Yeah, it's tough. So, you know, along those lines, what other things are we seeing in the market that we as marketers can take advantage of to get in front of this demand I think is coming for a very high caliber of marketers? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay out of the AI trap, Kamala, uh, just because I think there's so so much that has to evolve there. The only nod I'll make is um, if you're not using AI in your day to day work as a marketing leader, as a marketer, um, then you really need to catch up fast. Um, it just makes you that much more efficient. So that's my only nod towards AI. Um, the other thing I'm going to speak to is that um, I, I don't think there has been a time in the history of modern marketing, which I'm gonna say really started in the in the mid 2000s when it shifted from brand to data-driven marketing. I don't think there's been a time where data is more important. I know we hear this every year. I know we hear this every year. I know we hear this every single year, but, but let me explain to Delta and I'm gonna explain it through the lens of somebody who has um, dealt with a lot of different attribution solutions and somebody who has stepped into the cockpit of one of the most amazing, uh, solutions I've ever seen, which is the Calibre Mind platform. And I, I'm not here to shill for the platform. Here's why I would just simply say, um, and I've worked for companies, by the way, that had attribution platforms, just full full uh, transparency, and they've had really good ones. Um, the difference between having that profound level of data that I have as a member of the Calibre Mind team as a fractional executive, and what I've had in the past is the difference between getting into a Toyota Prius, and then getting in a Ferrari. And if you've ever gotten into a Ferrari before, you're like, what are all those dials? What are all those pedals? Why do I have this gear shift? What happens with all these things? And, and also, takes- thank you for ruining all vehicles for me going forward. <laughs> right. I know, but but it, it's irrespective of whether it is caliber mine or whatever thing you've created to be most useful, um, really, that is this idea that the data that you're sitting atop, like GA4, we have a whole podcast on just the tragedy that is GA4 data and how they're refactoring it. But I have to tell you, 
if you're not in a spot where you feel full confidence in your data, performance data heading into 2024, you feel like there are disparities, that's really the area I would focus. So my prediction for 2024, very simply, is data becomes even more important. And guess what? I mentioned I wouldn't say AI a ton, but check out ChatGPT 4.0. You can upload data into ChatGPT and ask it to do an analytics. And sometimes that might be your shortcut. Yes. And I have to agree with you from the standpoint of somebody who has not had data and has had data. It really turns, when you can point to data, it makes the conversation completely not personal. You're no longer pointing at what people are doing, but what the results are. And I think that's a huge context shift that we can benefit from. What I do want to talk to you about regarding related to this is I think there's been stats published in Forbes where 80% of CEOs don't trust or are unimpressed by their CMO. And then Wall Street Journal recently came out that the divide between the CEO and the CMO is growing. And the major complaint, I think only 22% of CMOs felt that the CEO understood what it is they do. I'd like to challenge us a little bit and see what your thoughts are. How much responsibility do we as marketers need to take for not being able to communicate succinctly what it is that we're doing? All of it. And and let me let me unpack that a bit, Kamala, because I and, and I, I think those are really wonderful art wonderful articles uh, to read. And I would really emphasize uh, drilling in because I have to say they they do get into this idea of the sort of communications drift and misunderstanding that can happen. I'm going to avoid that because I think the article does a better job than I ever could do. But I'm going to say 100%. And, and I, I think, what, and, and you know, as somebody who's been in the up, through the ups and downs of marketing leadership for 20 years, one day the hero, the next year, the, you're the goat. The, the thing that I have discovered about communicating well and setting expectations with CEOs is this idea of elasticity. I don't care what era we in. I don't care how much... Uh, the economy is sucking or crushing it. At the end of the day, your job is to help your boss, your CEO, understand how elastic their business is. Notice I'm not saying marketing. How elastic their business is, meaning how much do I put in and how much do I get out? And the minute that you, I love the phrase um, that was uh, you know uh, given to me about a year and a half ago, which is don't hide the ball. I think marketing leaders tend to hide the ball. I think if you embrace this idea of uh, how does what we do collectively as an organization, and then of course what marketing does, how does that result in business benefit and give the risks? Where the risky part of the business is, and I think that we tend to, and I still see this, see it less and less, but we still tend to go look at everything I did, look at all the work I did. Have a CRO do that, by the way. Have a CRO go, look at everything I did, but my number is this. How long yep. do they last? Yep. And I, I think this is what's happening. I think that's the gap right now. So I, I'd say 100%. I just really agree with you because I've seen it myself. And we all have, you know, growing up in our careers, watching what other CMOs do. Um, I think there's this inborn tendency to focus on the positive. And that's what we do with our product. That's what we do with our company. And sometimes that translates over to what we present. And that is a dangerous thing, pattern to fall into, especially considering that other business units have a gold standard that they're held up against. 
and they're expected to be transparent about those results and consistently report on the same things. So I've seen it myself and I'm just echoing, it can be disastrous, don't do it. <laughs> and I, I, I think I think we're also missing out on our opportunity to be the truth teller in organizations. Um, and and the, so I, I don't insist on it, but I have to say it's my own internal mantra, which is I'm not the chief marketing officer, I'm the chief growth officer. And my job is to hyper-focus on growth. And if that sometimes means there are things that are happening outside of the purview of marketing that are preventing growth, I'm not pointing fingers. That's not my job. My job is to simply say, this is what's preventing growth. And I'm the catalyst for it. And I have to tell you, the average tenure for a CMO is less than 18 months. It used to be 24 months. Now it's down to, I think, 16 months. Um, and I got to tell you, with that short a half-life for heads of marketing, be the truth teller. What's going to happen? 15-month tenure? Right. So I think we have a real uh, advantage here in that we're, you know, frankly, at the end of the day, we've got that ability to see through a lot of the BS and, and let's communicate on a really in a risk and elasticity level with our CEOs. If they don't like it, uh, then, you know, frankly, at the end of the day, it's probably a bad place for a growth marketing leader to be in place. And before we start wailing and pointing to it's not fair that we, we don't get enough time to prove ourselves, I think the VP of CS newest stats, 12 months and sales is just as short as we are. So this is not unique to marketers. We can't blame it. We just need to embrace it or move on. Well put. Doug, thank you so much for joining us today and joining us again tomorrow. Can't wait to talk about the next topic. Where can people find you online? So my Twitter handle is at Market Advocate. And um, of course you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm one probably of 20,000 Doug Bells, but uh, the Doug Bell you're going to be looking for is the Doug Bell that's a fractional executive with Chief Outsiders. So those of you tuning in who have been waiting for an episode, thank you for being patient. And we will catch you on the flip side.